This is episode 36D with Elizabeth Tereski, Carol Nemiroff, and Timothy Dolan. This is part of a special series of podcasts featuring chapter authors from the book Leadership for the Future. Welcome back to the Future Intelligent Leadership Podcast. If you're interested in innovative wisdom and practical tools for leading in a complex, uncertain, and exponentially changing world, then this podcast is for you. Aloha and welcome to this episode of the Future Intelligent Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Mongan, co-founder of Haku Global. We're an organization dedicated to helping leadership navigate a complex, uncertain, and exponentially changing world, which is driven by a emerging tech future. So if you're interested in learning about Haku Global's future intelligent leadership training programs and how you can develop future intelligent leadership and scale that across your organization, then check us out at www.haku.global. In the first part of this podcast, I'm joined by Timothy Dolan. He is a policy foresight specialist with extensive international and cross-cultural competencies in course development, long-term policy analysis workshops, and international policy. He is currently the principal at Policy Foresight. In the second part of this podcast, I'm joined by Elizabeth Tursky and Carol Nimeroff. Elizabeth is a professor of leadership and organizational studies at the University of Southern Maine. Her interconnected research focuses on women and leadership, organizational change, and the nexus of experiential learning and leadership development. Prior to her academic life, she was an independent organizational development consultant. Carol is a professor and dean of Renaissance College of Interdisciplinary Leadership Studies at the University of New Brunswick. She is also the principal at Maine Regulatory Training and Ethics Center at the University of Southern Maine. Her research focuses on three interconnected areas. The first is intuitive or magical basis for decision making. The second is cross-cultural models for building resilience in ethical decision making. And the third is the intersection of gender, culture, and leadership. I hope you enjoy these interviews today with chapter authors from the book, Leadership for the Future. Let's listen. So, Tim, thanks for joining me today. Um, we're talking about this new book we're both co-authors on. It's called Leadership for the Future. And I'd like to hear the title of your book, or your chapter, sorry, and also a little bit of overview of what your chapter is about. Sure. Um, the, uh, the title is uh, Evolution of Leadership Theories and Possible New Directions. So I try to contextualize what these, you know, there has been, and, and it's embedded in the title, this evolution of what leadership is. And this stems from my background, I've, I've directed four graduate management programs over my career. And when you're in that position, uh, one of the first questions you ask in your kind of introductory course is what is the difference between leadership and management? And uh, again, I happen to bring that up within the context of my title, mm. because there is a distinction. But leadership itself is such a slippery concept. Uh, and it can be culturally bound in to some extent. But it is also fascinating to me how you have 
certain commonalities. And one of them stems from the very earliest concepts or theories of leadership, which is the so-called great man theory, mm. that you have these individuals who are seen as people of destiny. They were mm. destined to become leaders. And there are any number of narratives that go into that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I go to that, but I, but being in the field of management and, you know, preferably leadership, of course, you learn that there has been an evolution. And the one thing that I got early on was um, that a leader needs willing followers. Hmm. So how do you cult, and that's the key to leadership in my view, how do you cultivate willing followers? Mm. And of course, that's where you get flavors, you know, depends upon your organizational culture, culture at writ large, etc. You know, it, it will vary because of that. That sounds very interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that chapter. Um, you know, so the title of the book is Leadership for the Future. And so why do you think that topics important right now to address? And then also, how does your work address that topic? Yeah, well, as I said, I sort of started off with those conventional, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, concepts of, of what the future or, or what leadership is, and then uh, extrapolate from that, because again, there's been a, uh, a shift in thinking mm -hmm. towards this idea of transactional leadership, you know, the leader follower dynamic. Uh, and then later in my chapter, I get into uh, what we can call feminized leadership, mm. that leadership qualities are now uh, starting to take on uh, some elements where um, a feminized view, I call it feminized, it's not exclusively women in leadership, but it is this idea of being more, uh, say, conversational and uh, dealing with communications, emphasizing communication, and uh, by extension, also emotional intelligence. And I touch on that again within the chapter, what this idea of emotional intelligence is, and mm. how that can be an inspirational element, you know, embedded within leadership. Uh, I do conclude with, um, again, projecting forward, because after all, we are dealing yeah. with, you know, for the future. Um, the the idea or uh, it's actually a principle and was brought up by Buckminster Fuller hmm. uh, back in like 1938, which is ephemeralization that hmm. we are, I am, I am observing ephemeralized leadership. So now we have examples of leadership uh, through social networks, through virtual means, where you don't even have a necessarily, or I should say people may not have a, uh, a physical uh, individual known as the leader. And I give the example of how QAnon is starting to take and hold uh, among certain segments within the United States. Mm -hmm. This is a virtual presence. Nobody knows, who's, knows who QAnon is. Nobody has mm -hmm. seen QAnon that we know of. And yet, you have large segments of a population that are following and idolizing this. And, and you get this with 
you know, certain, you know, branded individuals, etc. So that's where I sort of lead uh, towards a conclusion that this idea of ephemeralized leadership may be a possible new direction. Hmm. That's super. It's kind of, I mean, it seems too relevant, uh, relevant to also the, um, the cryptocurrency space with that decentralized kind of leadership, or there's a lot of anonymous teams that are building things that people are investing in or supporting, but they don't know really who's doing it. Um, but it does, it's, it's working, you know, I mean, some things are not always, some things are scams, of course, too, but some things do actually work even without us knowing who the leader is. Yeah, indeed. I, I, I completely agree with that. And it makes me a bit skeptical, but I think, you know, we should, we should always be skeptical anyway. Yes. Uh, you know, otherwise all we're doing is chasing fads and fashion. And uh, I prefer to look, you know, as a futurist into those more substantive elements that really do have an impact that are usually not readily apparent to us, of course. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. In, in the case of, uh, you know, the, you're, you're exactly right. The, um, cryptocurrency uh, phenomena is one that I think uh, has engaged people. I, I should also say, though, in the same breath, that my view of economics generally is faith-based. You know, <laughs> yes. You know, there was a, there was a great line. It was actually came from uh, Jim Dater, who was my mentor at mm -hmm. the University of Hawaii. I went through Met his Jim, program. Yeah. He actually chaired my uh, dissertation. But uh, he put it really well. His, his summary of economics is, it's a completely artificial system. Yeah. You know, it's man-made, it's human-made, as opposed to say ecology. Ecology deals with natural transactions. Mm -hmm. You know, e economics is artificial transactions. But mm -hmm. his line was, we can set the whole thing to zero anytime we want. <laughs> <laughs> True. I thought, yeah. yeah. So I thought, that's why I'm not too concerned about crashes or any of that. You know, we'll just make up something else. You know, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll 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 survive it, and you know, of course, there'll be some damage, but we'll get through it, and then something new will emerge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that boom and bust is now something that we should be anticipating. I, you know, yeah, I've, I've seen enough of that stuff, and we've all, I think, experienced some of that at some point or another. Yeah. So. Um, you know, with your work uh, and your chapter, what's one key takeaway you'd like to leave leaders for the future? Well, um, there was a great story. In fact, this came from when I lived in Japan, as you may know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the television is generally incomprehensible. You know, there's only so many sumo wrestling events you can watch. <laughs> so, so the the um, the expat, at least my community there, would just pass around books. And one of the books I had was about, and it's an offbeat book, it would have been nothing I would have read otherwise, but it was a guy who could see auras. And mm. we talked about this, and there was, a, I'll keep this brief, it was just this one episode where there was this, I guess, very famous guru, you know, Indian spiritual master who happened to be at the airport where this author was in. And he noticed that this guru had the most amazing aura he had ever seen. The thing mm. was just fantastic, just multicolored and, you know, hugely illuminated person and very impressive. Mm. But then 
and, and he was with a retinue of devotees. But then he was taken to a security area, you know, behind a glass partition away from his followers. And his aura just went back to something quite ordinary. Mm. So this gets the idea of willing followers. Yeah. That it is the projection of the followers' hopes and dreams and aspirations that can make the leader. That's it, yeah. And, and the leader can use that, perhaps manipulate it but it takes the energy of others to make the leader. It's an interesting metaphor. It really, uh, yeah, it really says a lot about being a good follower, right? And what that means too, right? Because who you give your attention and energy to as a follower then does become, you know, that inspiring leader in some way, but it's because of you, not because of them so much maybe, right? Exactly. And, and that's, yeah. that's the ultimate um concept that I see is that again it's that idea of the willing follower yeah you, it's required there's no leader by themselves they mm -hmm. require the followers yes it's interesting in uh in yoga training I've uh, practiced and taught yoga for many years um as a side hobby but um what's what's interesting is we've me and some other teachers teachers have always talked about how do we create a class where we actually teach students how to be good students right um because it's it's hard to be a leader or a teacher you know if you don't have good students in the classroom but also we thought if you have good students and teach them right they know how to spot good teachers right um and so they can also they can help distinguish the good teachers from the bad ones and also help to weed things out and not just get easily influenced or manipulated by charlatans let's say right exactly yeah well, one of my taglines, and I, I use this quite a bit, uh, is, you know, and this gets into the educational space, that knowledge is good, curiosity is better. Mm -hmm. So I'm always struck by those individual, call them students. I prefer, I prefer to use the word participants. Yeah. In fact, I insist on it, you know, in, in my, in my great, teaching. It's a great way to you think know? about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, because it helps set the role better. And, it's, and I've taught a lot at the graduate level. So it, it, I think it works better uh, mm. with people who are more mature and uh, mm -hmm. usually looking for an advanced degree. So they're no longer students. They really are participants. And, and so I look for that. And it's that curiosity factor that, you know, leads to creativity, that leads to shifts, mm -hmm. possible transformations. So uh, that's, that's something to look for, I believe. And yeah. I'm inspired by that. That's great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, look forward to reading chapter and, and hopefully the uh, audience will pick up the book leadership for the future. And thanks again, Tim. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you. Hello, Liz and Carol. Thank you for joining me. We're talking about this new book we're both co-authors, we're all co-authors in, called uh, Leadership for the Future. I'd love for you to share uh, the title of your chapter and a little overview of it. I'd be glad to. Yeah. Um, our chapter is entitled Networked Leadership, the Coming of Age of a Feminist Lens for Leadership Development. And it uh, focuses on the need for transformational, shared, and distributed leadership styles in our globalized, interconnected, and rapidly changing world today. 
Uh, we chose a feminist lens to apply to leadership and organizational culture because of the values and norms expressed in the feminist uh, literature. Uh, we apply this lens to leadership and we also map core feminist values onto emerging organizational structures such as the networked organization as well as models of transformational and distributed leadership. We do this in recognition that the interconnectedness among institutions today means that the historical model of competition and dominance will no longer work. Instead, the emergent models of leadership and organizational structures must recognize the need to focus on collaborative, sustainable, healthy relationships. So in our chapter, readers will see that we challenge and interrogate the conventional models of leadership and organizational structure. That's great. Sounds very interesting. And Carol, could you tell us a little bit about why this approach is unique? Yes, absolutely. Um, the heart of feminist leadership is the empowerment of others. And this forms a very stark contrast to historical models of leadership that have been more about gaining and maintaining power over others. Bringing about collective power requires attention to relationship building and mentoring, participation, inclusion, dignity. Um, the feminist lens basically argues that competitiveness and hierarchical structures form part of a broad value system that is dehumanizing to both women and men. So the feminist approach deconstructs the hierarchical model of leadership and in its place presents a distributed, that is a, a shared and collaborative alternative model where leadership is viewed as a collective activity that's enacted throughout the organization rather than as an activity that's claimed exclusively by a small number of power brokers. Um, and this model is particularly well suited to the demands of today's globalized, rapidly changing and increasingly interconnected and decentralized world. Uh, what we need are transformational leaders who are truly inclusive and facilitate bringing voices that are currently marginalized into the center of the conversations, agendas, and decision-making. Now, um, Liz, is there some data that helps to support this approach? Uh, there is, Tyler. Yeah. And um, what we do is uh, we present the data in our chapter, and we argue that gender-inclusive teams make better decisions, which improve organizational outcomes, and these are inextricably linked to innovation and diversity. Uh, for example, one such study spanning 1,069 companies across 12 countries showed us that those companies with at least 25% gender diversity among executive leadership were likely to outperform other companies, which are, is measured by revenue and market value. And further, there's a, a 2019 study of 1,000 top firms spanning 24 industries and 35 countries that illustrated the relationship of gender diversity and positive outcomes uh, were only held when diversity was an embedded value in the system. In other words, when it was deemed both important and normative within the culture. And there are other studies that teach us that diversity only translates into creativity in an environment of psychological safety, which likely explains why cultural appreciation of diversity is critical uh, for benefits to manifest. Hmm. 
And um, Carol, is there like an overall key message maybe for this chapter? Well, there are two or three key messages, but um, one of them is uh, uh, considers the ways in which conventional cultural stereotypes of women and men and leaders are currently blocking individuals and organizations from being able to achieve their full potential. Um, in fact, women's approaches to leadership can be so different from the stereotype of leadership that they're not even recognized as leadership per se. Uh, for instance, facilitating the development of a shared difference a shared vision can come across as uh, being lacking in one's own vision. Um, conversely, when women lead in more conventional ways, such as taking charge and being assertive, they can be subject to backlash because they're stepping out of their prescribed societal gender role. So uh, one of the primary messages in this chapter is that in order to respond effectively to current trends, uh, leadership development models need to align with core aspects of feminist identity and with approaches that have traditionally been considered feminine. But in our society, these approaches have often been devalued for just that reason, they're considered feminine. Um, we do also explore the question of nature versus nurture, that is whether some of the differences in the leadership approach may have some basis in biology, but that picture is complicated. So you'll have to read the chapter if you wanna learn more about that. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, you know, to wrap it all up, what are some practical takeaways uh, you'd like to leave people with? We, yeah, um, well, we offer recommendations for stretching the stereotype of both leadership and the feminine so that organizations can respond effectively to the emerging trends we discuss in our chapter. We critique gender and leadership stereotypes. We discuss the need to liberate both women and men from these stereotypes so that we aren't constricting people's ability to bring their full selves and their unique perspectives to the betterment of the world. The challenge, of course, is to design leadership development models that teach these skills to people of all genders. Carol, you wanna wrap this up? I would love to, Liz. Um, part of the challenge here is that stretching the stereotypes won't be simple because stereotypes are cognitive structures that grow out of the very human need to categorize things. And once formed, they tend to be self-maintaining. And this is because they direct our attention and our memories so that we only see and remember things that were consistent with what we expected. Um, even using the term diversity can actually serve to strengthen the idea that there's a normal or a mainstream and thereby support bias. Um, so our chapter argues that a distributed and egalitarian model of leadership will inherently allow for different perspectives to arise and be appreciated uh, as contributions that deepen and broaden understanding and result in better outcomes. That's great. Thanks, Liz and Carol, for sharing that. I look forward to reading your chapter in the book. I haven't got a copy yet. Um, and uh, hopefully the audience as well will pick up a copy of Leadership uh, for the Future. And thanks again, Liz and Carol. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you for joining us today on the Flowcast. To get a summary of today's dialogue, find out more about today's guests, listen to previous episodes, or discover more about Haku Global's neuroscience-based futures intelligent leadership programs or customized strategic foresight and innovation sprints, visit us at www.haku.global. At Haku Global, we believe it is time for more futures intelligent leadership. The future is something we need to think more intelligently and feel more deeply about so we can collaborate to discover today's solutions for future problems. 
If you are in a leadership role and need support or training to scale futures intelligence across your organization, then contact us at Haku Global. This is your host, Tyler Mongan, and until next time, have a preferred and conscious future. Aloha.